please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Lord is risen. He is risen the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Wow, this is an exciting Sunday. I should have brought my pom-poms or something. You see, for me, Easter is not only exciting, it's also very complex. It can be challenging, it can be fabulous, it can be difficult. It can be a changing and, in fact, a redeeming time of the year. Not only, as Ron was talking about, are we seeing the changes walking along the streets on Friday on the crosswalk. Amy Stewart was pointing out to me how the trees were just about ready to burst open, to pop open with their flowers, and what a beautiful time of year that is. But I think as we also begin to notice the changes in nature, I think it's a good and healthy time for us to begin to think about the changes that are happening in us or that have happened over the last year. For me, Easter is not only an exciting time, but also a time to reflect on how we face life and how we face death. And it's too complex for me to even grasp in one day of celebration all the goodness of this day, let alone in one sermon. Because today is the crux of the Christian faith. And that is the reason that we are here to celebrate, and it is worth honoring, and it is worth proclaiming that indeed the Lord is risen. But each Easter, amidst all the excitement, I always have to pause a little bit, because I am reminded of a fairly embarrassing Easter of about 15 years ago. It was my first year out of college, and I was living in Indiana and attending a church, a new church, uh, that I had been attending for about six months for the first time. It was really my first Easter that I wasn't with my parents, my family, attending my home congregation. And like our church, they had a breakfast prior to their Easter worship service. And so I walked in, and the pastor was standing at the, inside the front door greeting folks as they came in. And he's a very large man, very tall man, with huge hands, and Duane would stick his hand out, and he would say, Sue, the Lord is risen. And I put my hand into his large hand, and I looked at Duane. Now, I'm communicatively, communicatively perceptive enough to know that I was supposed to say something in response to him, but I had no clue what that was. And so Ron is, I mean, I'm sorry, Dwayne is standing there with his hand. I get, yeah, yeah, you know where I'm coming from. And his hand and mine and his, and I'm looking up at him, and I, he says, the Lord is risen. And I said, thanks. <laughs> and Dwayne slowly removed his hand from mine. He said, the breakfast is downstairs in the fellowship hall. I went downstairs and I proceeded to eat my, breakfast, my Easter breakfast, the hot cross buns and the other good things that were there. And slowly, eventually, we all made ourselves up to uh, the sanctuary for worship. 
And we started out the worship service very similar to how we started out this morning with the worship leader up front. And the worship leader got up and said, the Lord is risen. And everybody in one accord said, the Lord is risen indeed, except for me. I was standing there looking around. I quickly grabbed my bulletin thinking, surely I missed the litany. That There was no litany written. I thought, how on earth does everybody know what words to say? Well, I went home, and I was living in a, a house full of four women. And over Easter dinner, the four of us were talking about our varied Easter services. And I proceeded to tell my housemates about my experience this morning. And they all just started laughing. And they said, Sue, what church did you grow up in? I said, Blooming Glen Mennonite, thank you. And they said, didn't you do that every Easter morning? And I said, no, we never did that. And they said, well, that's what most Christian churches do on Easter morning. Well, not an Easter morning now goes by that I will not, when I get home from church this afternoon, I will have three messages on my answering machine from those roommates, and they will all say, Sue, the Lord is risen. You're welcome. <laughs> and they hang up. Well, this Easter, as I reflect on the good news of Easter, the good news that welcomes us this morning, when we wake up and greet Easter morning, and now the good news that greets us every morning when we wake up, the good news that we are reminded of in the book of Romans that talks to us and tells us that when Jesus was raised from the dead, we too are now able to walk in the newness of life. Our faith, our belief, our baptism, our conviction in Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives unites us in Jesus' death as we are reminded each time that we take communion. But it also unites us in his resurrection. Our old self, the one that sins and even still continues to sin, was crucified with him on the cross so that we can be assured that sin was in fact destroyed and that we are no longer enslaved to that sin. It's an awful feeling to feel enslaved to sin. But now, now on Easter morning, thanks to the resurrection and to the power of God, we know that death does not have the last word. And in fact, Christ has the last word. And that is the word of life. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And this is good news. And something that, in fact, we should say thanks to. This week I was reading, actually over the past two weeks, I was reading a lot of Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen instructions for Easter morning are to observe the Easter day with prayers of thanksgiving and with the action symbolizing the significance of our salvation. So ha to my friends who laughed. Henry Nouwen says that's the appropriate response on Easter, saying thank you, God, thank you, when we hear that the Lord is indeed risen. Perhaps it's indeed an appropriate response to all that we have been given through the resurrection. 
And today, as we reflect on Easter, as we reflect on what this is all about, the resurrection, the gift of life in Jesus Christ, I hope that all of us take time to say a personal thank you to God. Thank you for the blessing that you have given us beyond measure. Now, our human reactions to the fact that the Lord is risen vary. While I didn't know some 15 years ago what the appropriate response to the expected liturgy of the Lord is risen was, the story that we heard Ken read this morning in the Gospel of John also shows that those closest to Jesus reacted differently too to the fact that the Lord is risen. We find Mary Magdalene going to check in on the tomb early that Sunday morning. She was there by herself. And we're not exactly sure what she was doing, perhaps going and making sure everything was fine, that the flowers were there, that all was well. And when she got there, the stone had already been moved away. Now the stone was heavy. It was nothing that one person could do or even multiple people who were weak could do. It was a very heavy stone. And so she was shocked and dismayed when she found this. This wasn't supposed to be the the case. And so her immediate response was to go running. Now, I don't know how old Mary Magdalene would have been, but she went running from the tomb, probably as fast as she could, to find the disciples, at least somebody who would care a little bit about what was going on. And she got to them, and she said, they've stolen Jesus. Well, Peter and another disciple, the beloved one, immediately heard her cries and went running back to the tomb as well. And they ran. Now, Mary was a good athlete, I'm confident, but nonetheless, the men beat her out because they went running really fast. And the beloved disciple got to the tomb first. And he looked around and he looked and he looked and he actually looked inside the tomb. And there he saw the linen cloths, the linen strips that wrapped the body of a dead person preparing them for burial. We remember Linda Gaiman Peachy preached uh, two weeks ago about Lazarus' death and how the linen strips were on him even when he came out of the tomb and how they bound his arms and legs together. Well, these linen cloths that had bound Jesus were now lying on the floor, and they were there. And he came out, and then at that point, Peter had caught up. And Peter also went into the tomb and saw linen cloths. And it's an important part of the story, I think, that we remember Lazarus, chapters before, and what Jesus had done for him when he rose from the dead, when he came out, but he was bound with these linen cloths. You see, do you remember what Jesus had to say? Jesus had to instruct his friends and his family who were there for Lazarus. He had to say, unbind him. Let him be free. And so they came and they undid the cloths. But Jesus, I love this part of the story, Jesus didn't have to have anybody unbind him. He did it himself with God's help. And the linen cloths that we see lying in in the tomb were a symbol of the freedom that Jesus had over death. And it's beautiful imagery And for Peter and the beloved disciple, well, that was enough. For them, they realized that Jesus wasn't there. He was risen from the dead. And 
And while they didn't necessarily understand what that means, especially in verse 9 of chapter 20, we say, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead, it was okay for them. Because at this point in the story, the verses give us an empty tomb story. It's not yet the resurrection story. What the disciples believed at this point was that Jesus had conquered death, but not so much that he had been resurrected in the way that we'll later know. So instead of running away from the tomb, they probably walked slowly back to their homes, away from the tomb. But Mary, dear Mary, she stayed by the tomb, and she wept. She cried. She couldn't quite believe what had happened. You see, Mary was distraught. She was in agony. She had experienced the painful, torturous death of her dear friend and Savior, Jesus, just days before. And now she was here at the tomb, trying to check in on him, trying to make sure that his body was being well cared for. And now she finds that somebody has taken him away. And Peter and the other disciple, well, they came, but they didn't really seem to care a whole lot. I mean, they cared that he wasn't there, but after all, you know, they came running fast. But after they checked out the situation, they just sort of left. Didn't they want to know more? Didn't they want to know where Jesus was? Didn't they want to know who took Jesus? Perhaps Peter and the other disciples' response just added to Mary's anguish, to her feelings of loneliness, to her feelings of abandonment, and to desperation. And she was there all alone again. And as she was crying, she bent down and looked into the tomb, almost to a almost as a way to solidify that Jesus was indeed gone. But this time, when she looked into the tomb, she saw two angels, one at the head of where Jesus' body had been and one at where the feet would have been. And the angels looked at her, probably the most majestic way, and said, Woman, why are you weeping? And so Mary got over the tears and explained to them the situation. And after this, she got up and started looking around. And then she saw the gardener. And she thought, finally, somebody who's going to be able to help me. And she went running to him. And she said, do you know where he is? And the gardener said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? For whom are you looking? For whom are you looking? I was surprised this week in reading the Gospel of John how often the phrase, for whom are you looking, comes out. Do you know that these are the first words of Jesus recorded 
in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible, open up to John 1. John 1, verse 38. John the Baptist and his disciples were walking, and they saw Jesus walk by. And John the Baptist explains, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and then they started following Jesus. And well, Jesus, you know, when people kind of start following you in the middle of the road, you kind of begin to think, what's going on here? And so the first words that we hear Jesus say in the Gospel of John, what are you looking for? Or who are you looking for? And again, we hear these words, the first words that Jesus says after the resurrection, whom are you looking for, Mary? But it's not the only time that Jesus says them. If you turn back to chapter 18, when Jesus is in the garden and Judas has just betrayed him and led the chief priests and the soldiers to him, and Jesus, knowing at all that was happening to him, came forward, went to the soldiers in the garden and said, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And later on, again, he asked them, whom are you looking for? It was a question that began Jesus' ministry and for some, believe, ended Jesus' ministry. It was some of the last words he said before being crucified. We know there's a few other words in between there, but it was his last words before he was taken to be crucified in his arrest. And then it's the first words that he says, because... Mary says, I'm looking for Jesus. And then, and then he says, Mary. And it all becomes clear. It's estimated that we spend over an entire year of our life looking for lost things. What did you misplace or lose this week? Your keys? Your cell phone, your date book, your purse, your sock, which you later found was actually on your foot. That's happened to me. A toy, an important piece of paper that you just had to make sure you had, or a bill that you knew was due tomorrow and yet you couldn't quite find it to know how much to pay. About a month ago, I had a really bad week. I lost my cell phone which did appear two days later in a pocket in my purse, which I never put it in. I lost one of my favorite earrings, which I'm still holding on to the other one just in case the lost one shows up because you'd hate to throw out the good one and then find the other one. And worse, I lost my keys when I was traveling in Indiana. And they were the keys to the rental car. And I couldn't find them anywhere. My friends and I searched for two hours to try to find these keys. We called restaurants, we called stores, we called every place we had been. And in fact, that evening, I also lost my sanity. <laughs> I'm a pretty organized person. I think most of you know that about me. But there are some days and then there are some weeks that just lend themselves to losing things. And replacing things is not nearly as much fun as actually finding it. And we've all experienced that feeling of losing something in our lives. And some of us more than others, but looking for things, spending time looking for things, 
that we think should be right in front of us all along, but yet we're looking, we're, we're searching them out. And so immediately, Mary said to the gardener, in response to, for whom are you looking? She said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said, perhaps one of the most profound words in the gospel, Mary. And that feeling when somebody says your name, think of it in your mind right now, imagining Jesus saying to you your own name. What that feels like when somebody with deep compassion whom you love calls to you. And immediately Mary knew it was him. Mary knew it was Jesus. And so she yelled, Rabboni! which means teacher, what they would call him. And then Jesus right away said, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. So Mary's encounter with Jesus after his death and his resurrection is, in fact, for me, one of the most beautiful images I find in the Bible, imagining the two of them engaging there at the tomb. The delight and the surprise of Mary when she heard, Mary. It is in this moment in the Bible that we can say, along with Mary, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And the joy of finding something that's lost is powerfully wonderful. There are numerous stories of lost and found in the Bible. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, and the joy of finding them when they have been found. It's a universal feeling of lost and found. And I can't tell you how relieved I was when my friends had gone searching for my keys and called me two hours later and said, Sue, we found them in the middle of the Lowe's parking lot. I couldn't believe how elated I was, the joy of finding my lost keys. But it is nothing to the joy that Mary must have felt when she realized that there in front of her was Jesus. And maybe he had been there all along. And now Mary had a decision to make. She could have stayed with Jesus and hugged him and held on to him and tried not to let him go. But instead... She yelled and went running away from the tomb and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Mary's decision to go running from Jesus, go running from the tomb, is a powerful one and not an easy one. Jan Richardson, in the book In Wisdom's Path, tells us, there comes a time when we must choose whether to remain weeping at the tomb or to let go and tell what we have seen. We can't hold on to the things that weigh us down or restrict us from sharing the fullness of our experience of Jesus in our lives. Mary had a choice that Easter morning. She could have stayed with Jesus to protect him, to make sure nothing else happened to him. Or she could have listened to his words to go and share the good news of Jesus with others. And she let go. Mary's experience at the tomb is so different 
than that of the disciples. She was much more hesitant to enter the tomb than the disciples were when they came running onto the scene, and she was much less willing to accept that Jesus had risen from the dead. But rather, she still thought that he had been taken away. She too believed that what she was seeing, Jesus wasn't there, but she didn't accept it in the same way that the disciples had. She was determined to keep looking, to not give up until she fully understood what had happened. Some of us are like Mary. We need to keep looking for the proof, finding the answers, knowing the full story. And others of us are like Peter and the beloved disciple who are willing to inspect the situation, assess it, and then accept it for what it is based on what we have heard and in whom we trust. See, Jesus comes to us as our needs determine. He comes to us asking For what or for whom are you looking today? And as we examine the many ways that we come to faith, we're often reminded in this story that as individuals, we have faith needs that are often different. And it's important to remind ourselves that God is such a loving, patient, and willing God that God will provide whatever we need for faith's sake. Mary took her experience of journey, one that is different from the others, and went running away from the tomb, this time with joy rather than fear the first time she went running, because Jesus' words added to the story of an empty tomb and allowed it to be now the story of resurrection. The story is not over on the cross. It is not over now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but the story continues until Jesus is with God. And in that return, that new life, it is possible for us as a believing community because Jesus' return to God makes permanent what Jesus revealed to us in his incarnation because we know Jesus from his time on this earth and because we know that as a result of his resurrection, he has overcome death and returned to God. And we can be assured that now we know God as Jesus knows God, because through Jesus, we have a full and open relationship with God. Henry Nouwen wrote in the book, The Sabbatical Journey, as we claim our faith in the resurrection of the body, we come to see that the resurrection is not simply an event after death, but a reality of everyday life. And I hope and pray that the resurrection of Jesus is a reality for you in everyday life this coming week. The good news of the gospel is experienced today. Jesus has overcome death. And when we follow Jesus, we can be assured of eternal life too. Now that is good news. That is something to seek out. That is something to go running to. That is something for which to be grateful. And so today we exclaim, the Lord is risen. risen And for that we say thanks. Amen.